Well, I grew up in uh, outside of Erie, Pennsylvania, West County, Erie, um, in a little town called Girard. And uh, I remember distinctly several things about Erie. One is the sunsets. Uh, because of the lake, great sunsets on Lake Erie. But the other thing I remember distinctly about growing up in that area are the grape vineyards. Okay, I had a grape vineyard about three minutes from my house. When we, uh, when we uh, near my parents' house to this day is a grape vineyard. But then if you went up on the east side of Erie, so the other side of Erie from where I was, you get into grape country, wine country. How many of you been up there to uh, northeast? A lot of people. We got, there's some wine drinkers in this church. Anyway, <laughs> there's, these, there's grape vines just for, for miles. And uh, a lot of them, I, I knew a couple of people who, had part, who owned parts of the vineyards. And it's not just wine. Actually, Welch's grape juice, a lot of Welch's grape juice comes from that part of Erie also. So there's, there's just a lot of grapes up there. And so I remember just being fascinated by grapevines and uh, how they worked. And, and I think a lot of the Bible authors and Jesus was like that too. They were kind of interested in grapevines because it's a metaphor that comes up in the Bible quite a bit. And to understand it, you got to know a little bit about uh, grapes and vineyards. Grapes can actually go and grow in a lot of places, but they actually are, uh, uh, they grow best in certain areas. They like a little bit of cold, okay? So if you've been in, uh, if you've been to wine country out in California, it gets colder there in the winters. Uh, I've also been to Portland. There's some great vineyards out there. Um, but, uh, but it also likes humidity, okay? So it likes humidity and it likes some cold, and then grapes can really sort of grow. And uh, Israel has some places like this. You wouldn't think of Israel having these places, but, but grapes can actually be pretty tough. Okay, they can pretty, be pretty good at handling some of the weather as well. And so, so you find in Israel that they would have vineyards. And, and there were a lot of places on vineyards that had hills. Okay, a lot of Israel is hills. And so where it was flat, you would plant grain. But what do you do with all these hills? What they would do is they would build terraces. They would sort of dig out the hill, build retaining walls, and have flat places going up the hill where you could plant olive trees and where you could plant grapevines. Um, now, now, the other interesting thing about that is you can't just plant grapevines. Okay? Grapes actually don't grow very well from seeds. Normally, you have to take a part of the vine and actually transplant it. And when you transplant a vine, it sometimes takes, pretty often takes five or six years before that grape will actually get branches that are healthy enough to grow. So imagine the financial commitment, right? That you're going to buy grapevines from somebody else, move them to your place. You've got to build into the hillside, and then you've got to wait six years before you potentially have grapes. But if you did have grapes, you could have grape juice, people could eat the grapes, you could make wine, and so you could actually make some money doing that. You also just can't grow grapes on the ground. I don't know if you know this. But you have to have some kind of structure for the grape to hang, grapes to hang off of and grow on. A lot of times it's some kind of trellis. Sometimes it's wire, sometimes it's wood, lots of different trellises. But the idea is that the grape has to have some structure underneath of it to grow. It just won't grow on the ground. It's got to grow so that it can hang. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Then you've got to prune your grapes. So you can't just let your grapes run wild. You have to actually prune them so the nutrients get to the right places so that your grapes will actually grow. A, a free-growing plant will give lots of foliage, but actually very little fruit. 
And so uh, in Israel, you would see this, and you'd see grapevines. And uh, so I kind of imagine that where I grew up in Erie, a little bit like Israel in that regard. Like you just would pass grapevines. You'd see them, you'd see vineyards all around. In the Old Testament, Israel is seen metaphorically as a vine. Psalm 80 talks about this. Hosea 10 talks about this. Isaiah 5 has a big section on Israel as the vineyard. In fact, Isaiah 5 says... The vine has rebelled against God, so God will prune it by lowering its hedges. What you would do to keep the animals off your grapes, you, you would build hedges. You, you'd plant some, some thick brush to keep out any animals. And so the metaphor that, that God uses, that, that uh, Isaiah uses, is that God has taken away the hedge. And it's a way of predicting the, uh, the exile. That because the vine has been no good. Or Jeremiah 2.21 takes the metaphor another way. It says, Yet I planted you a choice vine. Holy, a pure seed, but then you have turned degenerate and become a wild vine. So, so the idea of Jeremiah, and you can find this other place in the Old Testament too, isn't that God doesn't protect the vine, but the, the vine grows wild. The vine goes bad. It gets degenerate. With all this history in mind then, and the symbol of the metaphor, let me, let me turn to our last I am saying in the Gospel of John. Jesus has been with his disciples in the upper room. So let's make sure we get the context. Okay? It's the upper room. It's the night Jesus is going to be betrayed. He's going to die on the cross tomorrow. And he's been hanging out with them. He washes their feet. They do the Lord's Supper. They've sang together. They've done the Passover. Jesus has done a bunch of teaching. He predicted that one of them will betray him. Judas Iscariot has left to do exactly that. He's predicted that uh, Peter is going to deny him. The disciples have been kind of upset by all of this. And then they leave. They go, and where are they going? That night, the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? And so probably as Jesus gets outside the city, he sees, maybe he sees a grapevine. Maybe he sees a grapevine right there. The disciples are passing it. And then he says these words, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be more fruitful. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, if he, it, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you would bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you that you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, 
he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus sort of gives this metaphor and then he, and he layers it. He, he, he like kind of dresses up the, the metaphor. He keeps sort of going back to it. So it, it's, it's got a several parts. He is the vine. We are the branches. The Father is the vine dresser. So, so let's kind of take those in order. Um, first, he is the vine. The way grapes work is that there's one main vine. It comes up from the ground and it brings nutrients to the branches. And he's, he, it's, it's, in most grapevines, it's very clear which one's the vine and which one's the branches. It's much thicker. actually has more like a bark on it. And you can totally tell which one is the vine. And the vine is the key. Because the vine is what actually takes nutrients out of the ground and brings them up to the branches so that the branches can have fruit. Jesus says, I'm the vine. Or I like how commentator Frederick Dale Bruner says that I am the real root of the matter. I'm the root of the matter. I'm the root of the matter. So, so in, in, and this is important in the scriptures, that Israel is no longer the vine. Okay, in fact, part of what they're saying is Israel was never quite the vine. It was always God using Israel, and God was really the vine. Okay? They had sort of failed as a vine. But now is the new expression that Jesus is the vine. The church is not the vine. No pastor is the vine. Northminster is not the vine, everybody. No author, no speaker, no person you look up to, they're not vines. They're not good sources of power. I'm not. This church actually isn't. Okay, what is the vine? Jesus is the vine. Don't ever get confused about where the source of your power, your life, your goodness, your productivity, your excellence should come from. Jesus is the vine. And if Jesus is the vine, then we are the branches. We connect to the vine. We get our life source from that vine so that we bear fruit. Not because we can bear fruit. We're not our own plants. We bear fruit because of the vine within us bringing out the fruit. Paul will go so far as to call this the fruit of the Spirit. He'll take the metaphor one step forward. He actually names the fruits that should come from your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so it's not our job to bear fruit, everybody. It's our job to do what? To abide. This word abide is not a passive verb. Okay? I'm not just abiding right now. Okay? Abiding is not just sitting. It's not just resting. Abide is an active word in the Greek. It's like, it's like grabbing onto. Hang on to the vine. Latch on. Grab it. Dig in. Stick with the vine. Cling to Jesus. We actively dig in. To abide is to abode. It is to make your home in Christ so that Christ is the source of your nutrients, your life, your goodness. Jesus says, abide in me. Abide in my love as I abide in you, as the Father abided in me. Okay, that's our job. Our job is to abide. You are not the source of your life. You are not the source of your goodness. Jesus is the source of that. But Jesus tells them to abide, and that tells me, if Jesus says to do something, there's, there's a potential that you don't do it. He wouldn't have to say it if you were going to automatically do it, right? So that, that means there's a potential that you could live your life and not actually abide in the vine. So you're not the source of your hope. You've got to actually abide in the vine. How do you do that? Well, there's lots of practices the church has had for that, including church, Bible study, silence, solitude, prayer, Bible study, uh, Sabbath, reading Christian books, 
being in a small group, um, service in the community. There's all these little things that you can do to help you abide in the vine. The important thing is that you're doing some of them, that you're finding those that work for you. So your job is to abide, to actively connect to Christ on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. But that's not where the metaphor stops, right? Because not only is he the vine and we're the branches, but he says the Father is the vine dresser. That God the Father comes and prunes us. The word for pruning is the same word for cleaning. Sometimes we talk about dressing the vine. Okay, but you have to sort of clean up the junk, cut back certain parts of the vine so that some of them grow properly. I've been learning a lot about this because I have, a, I have great vines at my house. Actually, in your bulletin are two pictures, right? Those two pictures are from my house. My wife took them this past week, okay? And on the cover, you can see we have a pergola that goes outside of the door of our house. And so I, there's a vine that goes up to the pergola, and then the vines, the branches go across the pergola and provide shade outside the door. It's lovely. We like it a lot. But here's what happens right at this time of the year. We start growing grapes. And you think, oh, that's great. You're going to have grapes. Yeah, but we never get good grapes. We never get to enjoy these grapes. In fact, inside your bulletin is a picture of the grapes from this week. And here's what happens. The branches grow, but as a branch grows, it puts out these little shoots that like hook on to hang on to stuff. And what it does is it ends up choking out the other branches that it's grabbing onto to sort of hang on to. So what happens is the, the, the grapes start growing, and you think, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to get grapes this year. But then, did you see the picture inside the bulletin? They turn black. Okay, the grapes start turning black, and they start falling off, and they never quite grow to really be good because nobody pruned the grapes. Nobody pruned back. And so there's too many grapes trying to share all the nutrients from these two vines, and there's also these branches that are choking each other out. And so I get to watch as this time of year now all these black grapes are falling from my uh, from my outside uh, from outside they're gross you have to step on them you have to sweep them off why because no pruning and so what God does is He prunes us He dresses us He 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 cleans us up this is the paradox of grapes for grapes to grow you have to cut back part we would think you'd want to just let it grow but you don't you have to actually limit the grapes. This is what God does to us. He prunes away parts of our life that distract from us, that detract from us growing fruit. Okay? And, and God's sharp warning is that if you don't bear fruit, then you're worthless. And you may end up finding yourself cut off and thrown into the fire. And I think what God does is a lot of times he cuts off parts of our lives and kind of lets those burn so that we have to move on without. And I don't always like this metaphor because pruning hurts. I don't always want God to like cut stuff out of my life. God, I sort of liked that branch. You know what I mean? That part I really kind of liked. I don't understand why you have to take away that part. But, but it's kind of like, even though it hurts, it's, it's like a surgeon with a blade as God cuts surgically in our life so that he can create new life, so that he can, he can form us, he can shape us, he can dress us, clean us up so that we can bear fruit. Puts us... He shapes us and he positions us to where we can bear the most fruit. So I've been watching these, these grapes for a couple years now at my house, and I can see how pruning, going without pruning, hurts. But I've also been learning as I was thinking about this passage this week. I preached this passage before, even here. is one of my early sermons here at this church. But I never really connected then this grape metaphor 
to the second part of the passage about being a good friend and that laying down your life for your friend is the ultimate. Like, I guess I can understand in Money Thursday why Jesus would want to say that the best friends are the friends that will lay down their life for each other because, you know, he's going to do that tomorrow in the story. But what is the connection between the grapevine and being a friend? Okay, what is, what is, the, what is, the, what is the connection between these metaphors and learning to love, which Jesus is clearly uh, making a connection. Well, well I, I think, first of all, that love is the primary fruit of this vine. Love is the primary fruit. In fact, when, when Paul writes the fruit of the Spirit, what's the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. And I think that's no coincidence. I think Jesus and Paul agree here that if God is at work in your life and if you are truly abiding in the vine, then uh, one of the first things we should notice about you is your love. But also, I think part of that love is loving your neighbor. What does Jesus say the greatest commandments are? Love God, love your neighbor. And so if you want to know how your fruit's doing, I would ask, you know, how's your friendships? Are you a good friend to other people? That's actually a big sign. And I also think, kind of like those, kind of like those branches that are choking each other out at my house, that part of abiding in Christ is we've got to abide with each other. It's why being a Christian alone, a lot of Christians are trying this. I, just, I, want to be a, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to be a church. Well, it doesn't make a lot of sense. That's not how this works. You abide, you abode with one another in the vine. And so we've got to be able to work to, together, relate to each other. We've got to abide together. And I think Jesus is, you think about Jesus, okay? Later that night. He's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to be betrayed, where his disciples are going to scatter. They're going to, they're going to not abide with him, and they're going to not abide with each other. They're all going to run in different directions. And then he's going to go to the cross. This is going to be really hard for them. And then he's going to be resurrected. But what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to wait. They're supposed to be together. They've got to sort of figure this out now. And so you can see how Jesus is trying to set them up for the days, the weeks, the years that are ahead of them. So, so how, how, do we, how do we sort of think about this for today? Well, a couple questions for me come to mind. One is, uh, is Jesus the vine of your life? Right, if I take a look at your life, is Jesus actually the source of your nutrients, your care, your love, your goodness? Like, is Jesus the vine and you're the branches? Or are you trying to be the vine? Right? Or somebody else or something else trying to be the vine in your life. Is Jesus really the source or not the source? Maybe that's a huge question. Is he Lord or is he something a little less than Lord in your life? Okay, If he's the vine, if he's the source, then you should be going to that source. Now here's how you might know this. When things get tough, is your instinct to try to pull yourself together or to try to go to the vine? Okay, when things get difficult, is your, is your gut being, I got to take care of this, or is your gut, I got to go to Jesus because I really need help with this? Question number two, how is your abiding? Like if I asked you to describe your spiritual life, how you are actively abiding with Christ, could you give me a description of what your spiritual life is like? Okay, now we're, we're going to actually, in the fall, we're going to talk about this quite a bit, but, but let me say that... Um, let me say just two things. One is, if your abiding in Christ is an hour a week at church, then you're not abiding in the vine. You're visiting the vine. Okay? You don't abide for an hour. Imagine having a marriage. You only talk to each other for an hour. Okay? That's not abiding. That's not aboding. 
that's visiting. Okay, if you're just visiting the vine, then uh, you're not truly abiding in the vine. And then if you come to church and you doze off or daydream, are you really abiding at all, right? No, I'm going to tell you this right now. The more, the more you grow in your faith as a Christian, okay, the more your abiding happens away from church, not in church. Okay, the more abiding happens away from church, not in church. Okay, the more mature you are as a Christian, the more Sunday morning is still important, but it's important for different ways. The more your central abiding actually happens away from here, not here. Okay, so well, how's your abiding going? And, and I, uh, second thing, I also see a lot of Christians make this mistake. When things are sunny and things are good, they don't worry about their abiding. And then a crisis happens, uh, and, and they've, they've got to go visit the funeral home. They've got to go see a bunch of doctors, or they are suddenly upset about something happening in the life of their kids or their grandkids or their friends. And then they're like, okay, well, I really need Jesus now. No, you, you abide in the good times. So that the connection is there in the bad times. Okay, if you don't abide in the good times, then when the bad times come, you don't have the abiding. You don't have the nutrients. You don't have the source. And uh, you're already missing out. Make Jesus the source of your life all the time. And then when a storm comes, you're already locked in. You're already plugged in. Question three, how's your fruit? If I look at your life, how is the fruit? If is the fruit... Can I see the fruit of the Spirit in your life? That's a great way to know how your abiding is. Okay? Do your, does your fruit look like good fruit? And I would say, in particular from this passage, how's your love? How are you at loving? Are you angry, a bitter, controlling in your love? Or is it true, selfless, lay down your own life for somebody else kind of love? And, and, and added to that, the other question I think pops out of this passage on your fruit is, how's your friendships? How are you at being a friend? How are you at caring for somebody else? If you have fruit problems, it really could be a sign you have abiding problems. Okay? Okay? If, if your life it kind of looks like the grapes from my house in the, in the, in the bulletin, and like there's some good grapes, but then there's some little grapes, okay? I, would, I would question your abiding. How's your abiding going? And then fourth, what is God trying to prune in your life? What's God trying to cut back? What's God cutting? What's, what's God asking you to cut back on? What's keeping you from growing in your life? Those things that are, you need to eliminate if you're going to actually grow. Or they're, they're, they're going to keep your growth minimally. minimally right? Are, those, are there things in your life that are making your life look like the grapes at my house? Okay? The things that are robbing nutrients, robbing goodness from your life, robbing you from really truly loving, then, then maybe... You need to do some work with God to print those out. Maybe you need to take some of those away. You do not want to look like the grapes at my house. Okay? You want God to be at work so that you are abiding. You are abiding in Christ. And His Spirit is working through you so that you are producing fruit. So that you're not resisting the pruning. But when, when God uses life to, to actually prune you, you understand He is doing something loving and caring to me so that I will produce more fruit. Okay, we're going to be talking about this some more in the fall because we're going to talk a little more about spiritual disciplines, about unhurrying our life, because I think hurry is one of the big things that keeps us looking like the grapes at my house. Um, but, but just something to think about. How is your abiding? Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would be the source of our lives, that we would find our roots, find our base, 
that our goodness and our fruit would come from you. Prune away anything in us that doesn't lead to fruit, that you would be glorified in us. May your love grow in us, that we may love and be good friends to others. We thank you, Lord, that you did lay down your life for us. May we now live in your love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.